All right, good morning. Great to have you with us today. All right, this is a word of introduction for you. Uh, we had a great service at nine, and uh, interested to hear how Pastor continues on that. Um, I'm going to read a passage here. Lord, bless this short word and all that it has to uh, open our hearts to in your name. Amen. All right. End of Genesis chapter 3, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about Jeremiah and Ezekiel. But here's a, here's a passage. It's tragic. It's tragic what happened in Genesis chapter 3. This is the, uh, the man and the woman had entered into um, self-definition. You know, they had taken, they had, list, they had ignored the definition from God not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they took from it. It says here at the end of chapter 3, Therefore the Lord sent him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man uh, at the east of the Garden of Eden, and he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So, consequences. Consequences. Uh, this is the essence of the meaning of wrath. Is like if you go through the book of, or the psalm, the longest psalm in our Bibles, which is Psalm 119, you'll see again and again that the writer of that psalm talks about a couple of things. One, it's good that I have been afflicted that I might learn to live by your precepts and statutes and also help me to understand your decrees, your determinations. And this is, I'm talking about, I've been reading through lately in my Bible reading, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. And we know that this is a very torturous time for the people of Israel, the chosen nation. They turned from their purpose to be priests and speakers of the mind of God to the rest of the world. Now, this is what God chose to do with this people. I'm going to give you my words. You are going to serve as priests. They're supposed to be priests, and then by being priests, they would become servant kings because they were to announce to the world that there is a God who can be known because the God that met Moses in the wilderness gave Moses, his name. Remember, Moses is a killer, right? He was a killer. That's why he's out there. He's a killer and he's an exile. And the fiery bush appears to him and he draws near and he gets the name of God, Yahweh. Now, I read this passage because I'm thinking consequences. Adam and Eve met the consequences. Consequences, wrath of God, when we read what happens in Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Jeremiah and Ezekiel preach and preach, and they say, this is coming, this is coming, this is coming, this kind of disaster is coming, sword, famine, uh, exile, uh, plague, all of these things are coming, wild beasts, these things are coming to you. Why? Because you've turned from the one who gave you his name, consequences. Remember, before Bob Barker did The Price is Right, he did a show called Truth or Consequences. Probably you who are under 45 do not know what that means. Uh, but there was a show called Truth or Consequences. Consequences or truth. Consequences are constraint. 
and what God is preaching through Jeremiah, through Ezekiel, to his people is, I gave you a name. I drew you to myself. You can read Ezekiel 16. It's beautiful. And it talks about how God found Israel, how God cleaned her up, how God perfumed her, how God garmented to her, uh, gave her garments and then jewelry. It's really like, you know, it's probably a good thing for a marriage seminar. How should you treat your wife? You go there. But then it sees like, it says, it says it got captivated. Israel got captivated by her beauty and then turned away from the one who loved her so much, had drawn her so close. And when you read through Ezekiel and Jeremiah, you see that God is constantly announcing himself, not as the almighty, not as the all-powerful, not as the omnipotent one, not as even the all-knowing one. He's, he's announcing himself as the God who loves you. I am Yahweh. I gave you my name because I wanted intimacy with you. And consequences, when they're allowed to progress, when the wrath of God is allowed to, because God is not mocked. Whatsoever man sows, he shall also reap. The seeds that we sow in life, the wrath that accumulates and affects us, but there is mercy. There is mercy. For every morning, there is mercy. Jeremiah writes that in the middle of his lamentations. 90%, 90% are just grief, 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 grief. And then this I call to mind. Great is your faithfulness. Your mercies are new every morning. Mercies, they must be received. God has given mercy. How has he given mercy? How has he given mercy? He's given us his name. And here's the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is that the consequences that Adam and Eve set forth, I don't know why God had to set a flaming cherubim there to guard the way to life. There was something that in their sinful state, if they went back in there and partook of something in there, then they are locked into something. There's a theological explanation, but it only goes so far. It can't satisfy like the person who's totally devoted to having everything logically and reasonably explained. It's a God of mystery. Michael Card used to sing that questions tell us more than answers ever do. So we have a God that can't be comprehended. But we do have a God who came and took on a name, Jesus. And he lived among us, Yahweh, with us. And then the fruit of all the consequences that were set in motion, including the separation from God in the garden, they were all concentrated, 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 concentrated at the cross. There is no God like that. There is no Savior mentioned in any other document or faith system. There is no Savior in every, whatever faith system that is, even if it's a faith system that has no deity in it. It's a faith system. You believe that these things are going to happen. We believe that the consequences of what happened in the garden and the accumulation of those consequences and our separation and our sin, they were focused and concentrated in a space of time on a cross outside Jerusalem and that Jesus was lifted up. Why? To draw all men unto him. Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh. All of the consequences of wrath are to draw us to the one who has 
his name to give us and his name to put upon us. And so we see in the scriptures that there is no other name on earth by which men might be saved. It is the name of Yahweh, Emmanuel, God with us. And so consequences can come. But the truth of the matter is, is that the person of God in the person of Jesus Christ absorbed all consequence, all of it. He knows exactly how it feels to be battered, beaten, stepped on, spat upon, and separated from God. He was forsaken for those moments on the cross. And now there's a narrow way to enter into the presence of God and to enter into the life that Adam and Eve knew before to have presence with him into a garden. There was that garden. Timothy Keller preaches a great message. There was that garden. There's the garden at the end of uh, the, uh, uh, in the New Age, there's going to be a glorious time. Another garden at the Revelation. In the middle is the Garden of Gethsemane. And all of consequence of wrath concentrated on, concentrated on the person of Christ so that we could be, let's keep it going, consecrated. I know that's a lot of C's to understand. Uh, yeah, consequence and then concentration and then the consecration that is for us. We are made holy in him. So call upon the name of the Lord. Receive his mercy. It's available to you every morning, every day. Uh, There is no other message. There is no other message. There is no other message that will roll back and let the garden gate be ungardened, unguarded. Garden gate does not have to be guarded by cherubim anymore because Christ made a way into his presence for us. All right, that's it. Uh, Who's coming? Pastor Eugene? All right, God bless you. Okay, you may. Okay, you may be seated. Turn with me to Psalm 119. Thank you for that message, Pastor Steve. It was the gospel message, so good. Oh, wow, we can really listen to a lot of teaching and uh, tonight there is also free food. I think we have a missions people dressed. I think in different mission clothes and from different countries and food. And up on the screen there or on the wall, summer harvest. Uh, so tonight we're going to have a celebration in here with our service. And then in the other room, I think it's in the other room, is it? The family center is the food and. Uh, just being together and talking about missions. Right, Psalm 119, verse 113. I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. So we have a lot to say this morning, I think, uh, I just pray that the Lord will direct us. Lord, we pray for our ears to hear what you have to say to us in these end times, challenging times when our 
world is in a spiral, changing, moving. We need help to understand what we believe and embrace it in our hearts. Amen. I have a short outline here I made last night. I did a lot of studying in the last couple of days, so I have a lot to say, but to kind of put it in an outline. Number number one, and we will look at the book of Esther. Maybe we should turn there now to get our bearings. Turn there with me to Esther 3. Well, let's keep, (laughs) I'm changing now again. Micah 3, I want to show you something about bad government. Micah 3, my my prayer is that the message will be good and edifying and and say something. Chapter 3, verse Nine. Hear this, I pray you, you heads of the house of Jacob and princes, the house of Israel, that abhor judgment and pervert all equity. They build up Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. The heads thereof judge for reward like money. The priests thereof teach for hire, and the prophets divine for money. Yet will they lean upon the Lord and say, Is not the Lord among us? None evil can come upon us. Uh, We might have that idea in our society. We say, God bless America. God bless America. And then we do things that contradict God's heart, God's mind. So turn to Proverbs 29, please. Verse 2. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. You know, when when a king is is righteous, when I, I lived in Europe for about 20 years, and I know a little bit about countries there and their history through the centuries. Uh, it's just common knowledge. Uh, I don't know a lot, but I know in general. When, when a king was a godly man, it affected the society. Yeah, well, it wasn't, there weren't republics like in the 17th century. 16th century, 15th century, and earlier. But a king could be righteous. And where do we find that in the Bible? But David, when David was a righteous man, the people rejoiced, and he was. He had a, he had a, a rough patch, and we read about that in the Bible, but we also read that he was a man after God's own heart. 
And so was Solomon. He changed. But so was Jehoshaphat and Asa, men of God. And the Bible says, when it's right, when there's judgment, when there's righteousness, when there is wisdom, when there is thy law. I hate vain thoughts. And that's, a, that's a whole message in itself. What are vain thoughts? Like uh, thoughts that don't go anywhere. Thoughts that are all about me. Thoughts that have very little meaning in the big scheme of things. Like what's really going on? What's happening here? What's really going on in life? So my, my belief that our confusion in our society leads people to Christ. I believe that. I want to believe that. I want to believe that the problems that we have, now there's much to say about our problems, but I, I, just in a few words, there was a psychiatrist, Jewish Holocaust survivor, Viktor Frankl, He's somebody you might want to read about, a very interesting uh, about meaning in life. I think it's, uh, it's L. Frankel. Not sure if there's a Y in there, but Victor, you can find it. But he said, in the United States, there should be a statue of liberty in New York and a statue of responsibility in Los Angeles. We should have, if we have freedom, we should also have responsibility. Responsibility. Somebody to talk to me about how things should be. Well, where will I find it? Where will I find the moral uh, law? Where will I find the spiritual understanding? Where will I find the food that I need for my, my life, to live a life? So because there is, here's my outline, downward spiral of moral teaching in our society. I want you to notice something. Deuteronomy 22, what did the psalmist say? I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. Let's read a little law. Some Christians say, I don't want to know about the law. I want to know about grace. No, you don't understand. You don't understand. The law is our delight. Because the law is about love. The law is about God. By the way, um, how many laws are there in, the, in Moses' teaching? 623 of Moses' laws. What are they about? About food, um, cleanliness, defilement, sacrifices, priesthood, temple, tabernacle, Ten Commandments, and then what we're going to read here now. Deuteronomy 22, verse 1. You shall not see your brother's ox or his sheep go astray and hide yourself from them. I don't know what that means. My neighbor's sheep go astray, and I, I look the other way. I don't want to get involved with my neighbor. Yeah, he, uh, he has a problem. His sheep got out. You know, Farmer John's goats got out across Route 150 the other night. The state police went and did something about it. 
back in these days and today. When you see that your neighbor has a problem, do you turn away or do you care? Yeah, well, the Bible is teaching me to meditate on that. Why? Because it's God's mind. It's his heart. It's love. You see, people, you don't keep the law to get saved. That's the gospel. You cannot keep the law. Nobody can keep all these laws. Even though in the Gospels, Jesus talked to somebody who said, I have kept all the law from my childhood. You know the story. Oh, really? You have? Really? Not really. No. We have, we, we, the law shuts our mouth. The law teaches us we are not able. The law draws us to Christ where we need his mercy and his grace. Now, being born again, and the nature of Christ being born in you, you love the law. You love the law. That's why you read it. Meditate on it. It doesn't condemn you. You rejoice in it. But in our society, how do people think of the law? What are we? We're, we're even now, even the baseline civil law isn't enforced. So you have a lot of freedom, and we talk a lot about human rights and our freedom to be and do whatever we want. And God is saying, no, you are my people. You are different. You love my law. I hate vain thoughts, but thy law I love. I love the gospel. I love my new birth, I love the doctrines, and I love these laws. Let's read another one, verse, or the same one, verse 2. If your brother be not nigh unto you, or if you know him not, then you shall bring it unto your house, and you'll keep the sheep at your house. He'll be with you until your brother seeks after it, and then you restore it to him again. I got your sheep. He's in my backyard. I, I found your cat. I found your dog. I found, I remember in Finland there were a pair, a pair of gloves at the bus stop. You know, somebody dropped their, their gloves and they just put the gloves there at the bus stop for somebody to find them, right? But there's something about us, I turn the other way. I don't know anything. I don't know anything. I'm not helping anybody, I'm staying out of trouble. I'm not doing it. I'm not, I'm getting, remember back in the day when we were young, we were hitchhiking all over the place? We caught a free ride. People would pick us up, drive us. I hitchhiked a lot. Probably a lot of you did. Even across, I didn't go across the country, but I had friends that did it. It was like a way of life. Like people in America would pick you up. Now they don't dare because they might get killed, hijacked, kidnapped, murdered, or raped. Wow, what happened? What happened in our society? Well, there's some statistics here. Anxiety grows among Americans as crisis after crisis spirals out of control. Inflation, mass shootings, war, pandemic. The American people have been hit left 
have been left feeling like so many things have spiraled out of control and that those charged with addressing them can't or won't fix them. Please fix our society. Please help us live a better life. Now, here, here's a point number two. Poor leadership is a problem for us. Micah 3, 9 to 12, Ecclesiastes 10, 5 and 6. You came to learn the Bible, right? Wait a minute. Go back to Deuteronomy 22. I want to I hit you with this one. Chapter 22, verse 5. The woman shall not wear that wear that which pertains unto a man. Neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all do so are an abomination to the Lord thy God. Do you read that? What's that called in our society? Is there a word? Cross-dressing? Man dresses like a woman and a woman dresses like a man. What does God say about it? It's an abomination. What do you think about it? Yeah, I'm asking you, what do you think about that? I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. Do you love it? I don't know. You got to deal with that. Isn't that a great question to ask the church? It is. We are a grace ministry. We know that we must be born again. We have the Holy Spirit of God in us, and we know that this is his word. And do you love it? And I want it to offend me. I want it to challenge me. I want it to speak to my heart. I want it to direct my life. I want it to correct me in any way God wants to. I don't know what I'm doing. I want to know what God thinks. I want to know what he says. You, you, you get the idea of what I'm saying, right? Okay, so... How about this one? Deuteronomy 22, 22. If a man be found lying with a woman married to a husband, and they shall both of them, then they shall both of them die, both the man that lay with the woman and the woman. So you shall put away evil from Israel. Look at this one. What is it? Put away evil. You know, there's a saying about in the old, old Wild West when um, there were horse thieves. When you hanged horse thieves, they didn't have many horse thieves. When they hanged them. Huh? What about that? You see, our society is so liberal our society doesn't understand. I'm not, I'm not saying capital punishment. I, I'm, I'm not getting it. I'm, I am saying this is capital punishment. But why? To control society. Because evil has to be put away in Israel. That's what he said. Isn't that amazing? Oh, that, this shocks my liberal uh, kind of uh, human rights uh, nerves, you know, like we are human beings. We have the rights to do as we want to. That's the way uh, people, uh, we've been living that way now for whatever it is. I am stronger and stronger. And where, where does it go? 
What happens to people? Well, I'm saying, I think it draws people to God. And I think it also does something else. It destroys people. It destroys what's normal. It destroys families. It destroys children. It destroys education. It destroys our, uh, our sense of integrity, our kind of design as people. We're not made to live like pigs. We're not made to live like irresponsible. We're not made to live like lying and cheating and hurting each other. I see nothing. I see nothing. I don't know anything about it. And I'm not made to be a liar. I'm not made to be afraid. I'm not made to be a coward. I'm not made to be irresponsible. I'm not made just to live any way I damn well please. And if you live like that, then you will, you will have vain thoughts that will bring your life to an empty place. So this paper says, this psychological association, this doctor says, it's not just the long list of stress-making issues themselves, but social media and ongoing apocalyptic news coverage that have put Americans in such a heightened state of anxiety, Wright says, we are not meant to live under this degree of fight or flight. We're not. So let's go to point number um, three. How does poor leadership in government affect the general population? I think it makes people turn to God, look for something different look for an answer to their problems. I think there's a list of questions. Number one, existential meaning of life. What do I do when my life crashes? I have a friend or friends that are Christians. Maybe they can help me. What is the meaning of life? Who can tell me? There is this teacher, Carl Sagan, you know him. Maybe he was an astrophysicist from Cornell. I'll put his name down here. And he believed that the universe, the material world, was always has been, is, and always will be. And that was his message. There is nothing more. We all here by accident. Material world has always been, is, and always will be. It sounds like he's looking at the material world where we look for God. And we say this, God not the cosmos. God always has been, is, and always will be. We are subject to him and seek him. And there are many people, when you seek God, you will find him. Number two, people have theological questions about the judgment. Will God make right everything that has been wrong, every lie? Will we stand one day before God? Is there a heaven and is there a hell? That's a good question to ask people when we're talking to them. Hey, the world that we live in, there's something not right about it. Why? Why is there something missing? Why is there something wrong? Why are so many worried? Why are we afraid? Why is there anxiety? Why? The answer is God. But there's something about that answer. And it is, 
it takes imagination. I'll write the word down here. Imagination. I'm surprised Carl Sagan, who believed that there are there's civilizations out in the other out in the universe that are beyond us, and that they, he actually believed they are out, out there beyond us, and they would help us get beyond our technological adolescence. Really, I'd rather turn to God. I'd rather believe. I'm hungry for meaning. I'd like to know why are we here. God is telling us in his word that what we are seeing happening in America happened in Israel. They turned away from God. And we read in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, that's happening at the end. 1 Timothy chapter 4, I tell you the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times people will give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. I want to go that way. I think there are people asking those questions. My fight, my, my faith, when I came to Jesus, I was not a believer. I was not, a, I was a skeptic. I, I was, no, I was not a believer. But I had to fight. I had to find it. I had to prove. I needed to know, is it true? I questioned it all the time. And I found it. I've never collapsed. My, my life, the, by God's grace, has, my faith has not collapsed. My faith has not been thrown away. My faith has not been destroyed. It has not been shipwrecked by ideas of other people because I got so serious about it. I asked every question you could possibly ask. I went through everything. I've also, since then, have been to many countries, studied many. I understand different religions and the way they think and so on. And I'm only saying this because you, our sisters and brothers, are in a time when there is a great departure from the faith. Churches are empty. Pastors are walking in gay parades. There are rainbow flags. Churches are empty. They are being sold. Church buildings are being sold to become apartment buildings or mosques. Uh, church, there's a departure from the faith in the Western world. And I got to ask these people in Europe and in the United States and wherever you go, what are you believing in? What is your message? What do you have to say? How do you live? Well, we can do whatever we want to. It's like, haven't you learned that if you do that, you end up in a very big mess? Haven't you learned that if you live like that, that there's, it's empty? I hate vain thoughts, the psalmist said. But I love your law. I found Christ. Right? All right, so there's other questions. When I see perverted judgment or wrong judgment, Mahdi Ki became the minority, but he also became public. He was a public minority, and he stood up and pushed back. Let's write, a, draw a picture and turn with me to the book of Esther. Chapter 3. Verse 8, Haman 
said unto King Ahasuerus, there's a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of thy kingdom and their laws are diverse from all people. What do you mean? Well, they can't eat smoked eel. They cannot drink blood, animal blood. What other laws? They, do? they can't cross-dress. What other laws the Jews believed? They, they have a priesthood. They offer up animal sacrifice. They have a God. You cannot see him. There is no God. The Jews are strange people. Diverse from all the people, and my advice to you, king, is to get rid of them. Get rid of all the Jews. So here we have this picture. Here is the kingdom and the thousand billion, millions of people from India to Ethiopia, it's in Persia, and there is, that just represents a population, and there's the culture. And the culture is saying by a leader. The leader is Haman. You have the king, and his name is Eurus, and then you have his henchman, his right-hand man, Haman. What does he say? Get rid of the Jews. Oh, bad government. Yeah, bad government. Look at the end of the chapter 3. But the city Shushan was perplexed. Verse 15, the posts went out to bring the news, the declaration of the king, that on a certain day all the Jews are to be attacked and they're to be killed. There's to be a genocide in Persia that stretched from India to Ethiopia in size. And all the Jews are to be killed. What would you do if you lived in that country? What do you think about that when, when the government is so... What do you think about it when the culture is saying things that contradict your way of life? For me, for us, we have a way of life that's from God. We have our tradition. We, we, have, uh, we have our teaching. We have our family. We have our moral values. And they may contradict our culture. And the culture might come one day and say, get rid of these people. Their, their laws are different from ours. They are diverse people. We don't want them here. And the king said, okay, I agree, and stamps it. The camels and donkeys and horses go out. They bring the news. And so verse 15 says, the posts went out being hastened by the king's commandment, and the decree was given in Shushan the palace. The king and Haman sat down to drink. Let's have a drink. But the city Shushan was perplexed. Not peaceful. Not peace. It's not good when the king is, is a bad guy. It's not good when, when somebody, a bad guy, and there are plenty of them, a bad guy is in charge, and what are you going to do? I'm going to delight in his law. I'm going to meditate in his way. I want to know God in a personal way. I want to be in fellowship with God's people. I want the Spirit of God to be teaching me and helping me, giving me peace deep in my heart. 
I want the Bible to be open to me. So this is what happened. Chapter 4, verse 1. When Mordecai perceived all that was done, he went and hid himself. No, no, no. When he perceived all that was done, he rent his clothes, put on sackcloth with ashes, and went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud and a bitter cry. That's like us. When something's wrong, can you say it? When they're going to kill you, can you do anything about it? Is it in you? Yes, because when you live with God way before that day happens, when you live with God and you meditate on his word, you have a life with God, spirit of God, then you have, you're not afraid. You have love. And nor are you argumentative, nor are you combative. You just know when something isn't right, you cannot tolerate. You cannot accept it and say, I'm looking the other way. I don't know anything about Jewish people. And by the way, I'm not a Jew either. Really, I'm not a Jew. Hide. But he went out in the public. He went to the White House. It says he went to the gates of the city. Look at verse 2. It says, and he came even before the king's gate. That means like the, the place of government. For none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth, but he did. You cannot go and go to the king's palace in sackcloth, but he did. And he's making a fuss about it. My purpose of my message is not that we are to be making a fuss as much as we as much as saying that I believe there are people that are unhappy with the way things are on an existential level, that there is no God. Could somebody tell me there is God? That, hey, that there is no God. You can do whatever you want. Okay, thank you very much, but I did that already. I'm not happy about it. I don't like it. I, I, is there anybody else got I got, somebody says, I got the, I've got a message. I got the reality of God. He is in this world and have a little imagination about the reality of God. Because the Bible says there was a prophet and they were surrounded by a Syrian army and he had a servant and his servant said, we are surrounded. And the prophet said, no, we're not. God Open his eyes. God opened his eyes and there were angels everywhere. Angels everywhere. Is it true? Are there angels everywhere? Are there angels that come and go? Remember Jesus said, if you deny me, I'll deny you before the angels. And we don't understand what that means, to be honest. I, I don't. But I have an idea. I like to think that if I could stand with God and in truth, that the angels will be told, go and help him. The angels will be coming and going upon us. 
John 1, 51, Jesus said to Nathanael, Oh, because I knew your name and I saw you under the fig tree. You think that's amazing? You're going to see angels coming and going upon the Son of Man in the next three years. Angels will be coming and going upon us in the next three years. You know what? The Western world is in a crisis because they have forsaken the faith. They're so smart, they've lost their imagination. They can't imagine Christ coming back in the, in the clouds. Can you? I can. I can imagine a world better than this one. I can imagine a world with my mom and dad. I can imagine a world where there is food and joy and fellowship and happiness and longevity, a world where you live and live and live. I once asked a taxi driver in Moscow, if you could have one wish, what would you wish for? And he said, I'd, I'd wish to live in Western Europe. And he said, I'll give you another chance. <laughs> what would you wish for? He said, I, I wish I'd had a new taxi. And I said, let me help you. Do you love your family? Yes, I, would, I love my family. Would you like to be with your family for a long time with all the food you need and everything you need? Would you like to, your family to be perfect without any mistakes or any errors or any disease? Would you like to be with your family forever perfect in the presence of God? Would you like that? And why, why, would the man, why could the man say yes? Why? Because he has an imagination. I can imagine. If I could be with my family for a year with happiness, then couldn't I imagine being with them forever with happiness? Yes, you can, but you say that's not reality. And I challenge, I challenge all of us to say, wait a minute, didn't Christ come and say, I go to prepare a place for you? And if it wasn't so, I would tell you. I would tell you if it wasn't so. Yeah, because we're made for a better world. And this, this stupid message of atheism. Tell me, tell, go ahead, talk to an atheist. Go, go ahead, tell me your story. Go ahead. All right, yeah, I got it right. You, there is no God, right? Okay, no God, okay. There is no heaven, no nothing, the after death, right? No death. We're here by accident, right? Right? I'll never see my mother again, my father. I'll never see, uh, right? There isn't any better world. Is that correct? Yep, that's right. There's nothing. It's like, thanks for your, your message, stinks. Thank you. I, I, you know, that, that gives him warm feelings all over. I mean, yeah, are you kidding me? You believe that? Garbage? But that's your choice. That's your choice. And I, I, I lived in it. I lived in it. That's why I can say it. That's why we say it. But I, I want to put another spin on it, and it is, okay, that's your call. I respect you as a person. You can believe what, whatever you want to. But as for me, 
I'm looking for something. By the way, the Buddhist that says you die and you're like a drop of water into the ocean and you lose your identity. You know, my mom, when I was born, she called me Thomas. And when I see her, I want her to call me by my name. I want to exist. I want to be me when I die. You might say that's egotistical. Yeah, it is. We're made with an ego. We're made to have an identity. God made us and designed us to be an individual. And when you are an individual in his mind, that's only the beginning of something even greater as an individual. For Simon, Simon, your name shall be Peter. And you'll have the keys of the kingdom. And when you live this life, you did your own. But at the end of your life, another one will gird you. And you'll be with me at a table forever with Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will sit down at a table. And we'll be together in the kingdom of God forever and ever. Now, like... It just, it just drives me crazy when I think about the way this world is going and there's no, no more K.I. screaming and yelling about how bad it is. He's screaming and yelling and dressed in sackcloth. And he goes, no, no, no. And he's a fighter. He's got it in him. It's like Jesus and Jesus in you and me. Yes. I, I don't think we'll win the battle in a sense. That's not my concern. My concern is that you will finish your course with joy. My, my, I don't know where America goes or where the whole thing will end up. And nobody really knows except it will get worse and worse. And there will be the coming of Christ, the rapture, and his coming and the millennium. And you can learn those things in eschatology and learn your, understand the end times. We can do that maybe this summer as teaching. But I want you to, I want you to know that your life, your modesty, your attitude, your relationship, your personal fellowship with God in your heart will keep you in a bad time. And we can be quiet in a bad time, Amos 5, verse 12. There are times when we are harmless as doves, wise as serpents. Watch a serpent. Serpent's in the grass. He moves like this. Then he stops. He's there a long time. And then he moves. And he just goes quiet. You can't hear nothing. There's no, just quiet. And then he just stops. And he's just like that. That's wise. That's like us. But I I want to bring out in the story that this guy is serious. Look what happens. Chapter 4, we're going to finish. 4, verse uh, 3. And in every province where their silver, the king's commandment and his decree came, there was great mourning among the Jews and fasting and weeping and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So there's a real concern with the Jewish people. And we know their history generally. 
love them. I, I sympathize with them. I love the, I love the history. I love the whole phenomena. The Jewish nation and these precious people and the reality of God and God using them to tell us that God exists. Thank you, God. What you have done for us through the Jewish people. Thank you so much. Thank you, God. And then finishing with the story, chapter um, 10. At the end of the story, when it's reversed and things change. King Ahasuerus laid a tribute upon the land, upon the isles of the sea, and all the acts of his power and of his might in the declaration of the greatness of Mordecai, whereunto the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? Mordecai the Jew was next under King Ahasuerus and great among the Jews, and accepted of the multitude of his brethren, seeking the wealth of his people and speaking peace to all. His seed. That's like us. I like to think of it like that. Made a big fuss. Fought a good fight of faith. They won. Things were changed. He's next to the king at the end of the story. And he's seeking peace amongst his nation. That was a blessing. A great blessing. And... um, I think these, this story should be told everywhere. I think we should get a grip on it in our own hearts and understand what it means to us. And I think we need to be people that, that have something going on in our lives. And then we would, we would be loving, building up each other, and sending out missionaries and doing summer harvest, reaching people with the gospel, and doing it right here in our neighborhood. And I hope in the future, the coming months, that will teach and help you talk to your neighbors, help you share. I've never seen so much interest as I see now. They are interested. They are listening. The world is on fire. We're in trouble. And we need Jesus Christ. We don't need atheism. We don't need liberal liberalism as it's defined in our culture today. Do whatever you want. There'll be no policing of it, no penalty. Everybody, you just go on your way and do whatever you want. That's, that'll be, that'll be crazy. That's crazy. So we're in a different place. Okay, amen. Would you pray with me? Why are we clapping? Just only to say yes, the Bible and the Word, and then that in our hearts we sometimes look for a deeper message, and we uh, of of uh, of just something that we can get our teeth into and think about it and challenge us and learn. And um, we ask you, Lord, to work deep in our heart. I know that there could be people that are, are, are provoked to thinking. That's the purpose. Provoke us in our thinking, Lord, and that we would be awake and engaged and loving and sharing our faith. 
Amen. Would you please turn people to yourself? Fill the churches where there is the message. Fill all the churches in the country with the pastors and the leaders that are sharing the message of faith. And lead us all in our lives with faith in our hearts. And if you never accepted Christ, you haven't done that yet, do it today. Start your spiritual life today. Be born again by faith in Christ today. Today, just say, Jesus, I trust you. I don't know you. I I don't know what it means. I have a lot of questions, but I I decide by faith that just between you and me, God, I want to believe that you love me and you came for me. And give, give me your spirit and teach and show me in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.